The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex episode 199 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash OneOuter. If you want to send questions in for a previous, uh, for a future show, rather, uh, that wouldn't make much sense. Send them in for a previous show. We're good, but we're not that good. Uh, <laughs> this is why I should record this announcement. It's just laziness. But uh, then we'd miss that little gem. So uh, yeah, if you want to send questions in for future shows? Please email questions at oneouter.com, and we will get them read out. Alex, it was a stuttering start from me. Hopefully, you're on better form today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Barry. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I did. It's, you know, me and Alex have joked before a couple of times off air and on air about the laptop I was using previously to do this uh, podcast. It was this big old thing that the screen was blown on it. So I had to wheel it out and connect it to the my television in the living room for the <laughs> monitor. Uh, just because I had the old recording software and editing software. And my new computer was a Mac, so you couldn't use this, yada, yada. And now I've got this really nice brand new MacBook Pro. I treated myself to it, and it is like night and day. It's one of these things where I'm like, what have I been doing for the last 100 episodes or more where I've been using that old laptop? And now I'm so relaxed, I think, doing it that, um, you know, it's just it's like a breeze now, Alex. I mean the editing, everything just seems quicker. And it's just like one of these things where you sort of like put off a purchase thinking you're being smart when in fact the best thing is to just throw money. We've talked about it before, throw money at a problem and it makes your life easier and more efficient. There's, I, I totally agree with what you just said, but I think there's also an argument for Remembering remembering that craftsmanship does take time. Uh, Jack White from the White Stripes. I think I'm getting that right. I'm not a huge White Stripes fan, but I, I this guy's pretty impressive with what he's done in music. And his whole thing is he makes concerts a little harder. He makes recording a little harder. He uses different equipment. A lot of the classical recordings, not even software, just machinery and it does produce a different sound but also when he's playing live because he puts his picks so far away or different instruments further away i i guess it does come up with a bit more of an anguished sound that does resonate with some people and i do think there was something endearing about how raw the early one outer episodes were also with our sound quality back then, we really had to learn how to say something interesting because nobody was coming back for the special effects. So it was good we learned that 
And yeah, now that we've got our chops, we can appreciate it more and use some better technology, but it's good to work through it and build a little muscle too. The, the weights in the gym are there for a reason. I, I went through something similar, which was when I was a little, uh, when I came back to the States and uh, was a little bit more self-imposed trying to get back everything together financially, I got myself a $250 backup laptop. And just because my main computer, which was this beast digital storm PC, it started glitching out. I made myself use the laptop for a little while. And that thing was slow as hell, that old laptop, right? And I, I made my webinars on it. We did this podcast on it. I taught my classes on it. And it worked fine, don't get me wrong. It just took a little bit longer to do certain things. But once I got my new you know, SSD drive uh, on my Acer Aspire, whatever the hell this laptop is, God, you just appreciate it a lot more. Don't you feel yourself appreciating the MacBook much more? I def definitely. I mean, it's not even just the sound quality thing. It was just, you know, I literally had to drag that through just on a Thursday for this. And th that was the only time I'd use it. And then certain files, I'd be like, oh, don't email me. Don't put them on Skype because Skype was on that, you know, computer. Email me them, etc. Now everything just gets literally two minutes before the show, open it up, start it, record straight on. I get it edited and ready to go uploaded within 10, 20 minutes after the show now and, and get it up and that's it done. And the joke is, um, you know, in this day and age of mobile stuff, if I didn't, you know, sort out the, a new recording software and sort everything else out, I literally had to be home on a Thursday to record this podcast. Whereas now, if I'm traveling with business or whatever, I just take, you know, I can do it all from the one computer again. It sounds like, God, what, wow, like, of course, like, wake up, Barry, it's 2018, you know, but the thing is, it was almost, I was rebuilding my um, own business, you know, like, not one out or stuff, and there was a real thriftiness came into my living through that period as well, of, like, oh, use the money for business, use the money for reinvesting and reinvesting, and we talked about it on a couple of shows ago, I think, you become sort of, it's good, but now you're at a new level where you don't need to you don't need to be as thrifty. There's a tipping point where that thriftiness is actually hindering you, you know. Um, because I could have still been doing the podcast on that laptop, and it wouldn't have made much difference, and I would have saved the money. And the other old MacBook I've got is fine for uh, all my business that I do on you know Amazon, etc. And so it was a real. It, it's like that what we were talking about when moving up stakes, if you got a big score and stuff, some people who have been broke a few times might have that fear of like, why, you know, I went broke before, num you know, numerous times, this might happen again. I've got this score, I, you know, I'm getting out of here sort of thing and I'll just keep, I'll go back to my, you know, $50 tourney or $20 tournaments and whatever. And there is that sweet spot as well with um, thriftiness where, you're actually holding yourself back if you're being too thrifty. I do believe you can be too thrifty in certain aspects of your life. I'm sure Carlos would, would uh, our mutual friend Carlos Welsh would uh, disagree with some parts, but um, 
you know, it, there is a point where you have got, you know, whatever in your bankroll or your life role or whatever, that you need to sort of go, will this make my life easier, buy me time, be more efficient and do it better, then it is worth investing. It's You're not spending, you're investing, you know, in, in situations like that. Yes, sir. And uh, before I go any further, Dennis Peterson was actually teaching me a lot about when, when you got to stress yourself out by doing things harder, the Jack White way, or not stressing yourself out, the why you have to take some time with craftsmanship. That was something he was teaching me. So I always try to cite my sources. And then going to Carlos Welch, you, you were saying like uh, Carlos Welch might take umbrage with that. But Car- Carlos, when we were living together, he never I, – I tip – Okay, Okay. That I just realized this is going to sound super white knight virtue signally, but I tip more than I should on restaurant checks, right? And the reason I do that is I used to work those jobs, and I know they suck. A lot of times working in a kitchen or working in service staff, it's just pretty much getting paid for people to abuse you, right? And if someone does a good job, I want to reward them. Carlos never said a word about that, whereas I know – Many truly cheap people who used to see that and like make fun of me and things like that. And I didn't really appreciate that because, you know, it's my damn money. I'll do what I want with it. And I think what Carlos would say is it depends on what you need. As you said, it's an investment or something you taught me, which I think you were taught by an older gentleman, is money is there to solve problems. The thing I've always thought of money as money is a tool, money is there to solve problems, and I think money is a tool to create responsible memories. I, I really think that's what money is for. And there are things that don't require money, but for one thing, I, I spend too much money on food because I just get lazy, and recently I just discovered there's a way for me to get fish and veggies for way cheaper, pretty good quality. That's one of those things, okay, I don't need to spend this much money on food. I can keep the same quality and cut the prices in half. I think that's not being cheap. I think that's just being smart. And then there's other things like me continuing to live in Newark, New Jersey. Like Newark was fine when you're rebuilding, but eventually – It is an investment because you're of more sound mind when you're in better surroundings, when you're in a more vibrant community, when certain amenities are more available to you in a closer area. Whereas in Newark, sadly, a lot of those things aren't developed as well. And it's fine to take the hour and a half subway trips to see your girl when you're rebuilding and that money really matters. But when you can disperse with a little more money, it's okay to spend a little bit more if it allows you to be in a place where you're in a better mood all the time. I'm in a much better mental place because of where I live now. And I think it comes out in my products. I think it comes out in my services. And like you said, it is an investment. Yeah. And it's like when you're traveling as well. You know, when I was going back to the first time I went to Hong Kong and China and stuff was way back 2005. Um, to 2007 and it was total different items I was looking for and I was traveling with a you know an acquaintance who did similar business to me but we were 
two separate entities in terms of he did his thing, I did my thing. But we shared travel costs and flights. And the first time we went, we got our flights together and we shared the hotel room. And that was one of the most successful trips we ever did. It was the first trip we did. And because we went and we shared the hotel room and we shared costs here and there, the next time we went back, we both got separate rooms in the hotel. And one of the main reasons for what that was is my friend was a, like, a complete chain smoker. And I mean like 30 cigarettes a day, you know, maybe 40 nice. times. And you're sharing a room with this guy and it was just disgusting for me, you know. And hey, I, man, it's just doing as the Romans do. It was in China. What do you expect? Yeah. So I says, you know, like the next time. And then it's amazing how you start getting more accustomed to that, etc. But I, I would equate it to today. The next trip I go back to Hong Kong, um, I'm, I think I'm going to fly. In fact, I know um, I've offered my brother a chance to come with me and, you know, I'll, I'll get his flight and obviously share accommodation to come and, you know, help me out. I get to, you know, I get an extra pair of hands if I need it for like business stuff. But also I get to show my brother a part of the world he's not been to, etc. But if he doesn't go, if he can't get time off his work or it's not suitable for him to come on that trip, I'm going business class the next time, you know, like flight-wise. It's a 16-hour flight plus uh, connection, all this nonsense. It's, you're basically in airports or on a plane for 20-plus hours. And I looked at the difference between business class and economy, and I looked at it and I thought, I just remember how many times I've done that flight and thought, wow, I want to tear my hair out or, you know, this is insane. Um, like, this is just unbearable, you know, during a flight and like leg room and you can't get comfortable, you can't sleep. And then you arrive totally wrecked and then it takes you, you know, one or two days more to sort of feel normal again. Whereas the fact you can get, you know, like nowadays, you know, like your seat goes down the flatbed, you're, you're stretched out, you're comfortable. You're going to arrive there in a better mood, a better frame of mind and probably ready for business better sort of thing. So it's like that, an investment, whereas before I'd be like, no, you know, it's economy. You've got to put, you know, it's, it's £550 for a flight or it's £2,000. But if you can go and there's deals happening and you're making money and I can write that off, you know, as a business expense, I mean, you're still paying, you know, whatever tax, but it, it's, it's you can put that through as a legitimate business expense. And, you know, a nicer hotel and stuff when you stay there. It's like these things are all, they're, they're good because they improve your uh, sort of mindset. And I think that's the key thing, Alex, isn't it? It's like your apartment and, you know, you staying in a nice place and feeling good about yourself is a mindset thing. And, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm like you. I've lived cheap, cheap, cheap. I like and for years, even when I was broke, I still found money together to, you know, to eat out or have takeaways or whatever. But then when I got real, real serious, I said, no, like, I'm going to actually do this properly. Cooking cheap, eating cheap, etc. And I reinvested every penny back into the business on stock, on whatever. And then something would come up, you know, like, um, I'd need a new car or a car I'd need fixed or whatever. And it had hit me down this new milestone, like financially I'd achieved. Oh, how am I going to, this is like, it's never ending. 
but you buckle down and you keep reinvesting and it's like poker you know in downswings eventually if you're playing a good game and you're making good decisions then you might have bad months six months you might even have a bad couple of years but five years six years and then 10 year picture down the line you're going to be way ahead and I just think it's it's then adjusting that mindset and that's a battle in itself because I know a few rich guys who died wealthy and they didn't live you know they would grudge themselves little luxuries that like just will improve your quality of life but it gets so ingrained in the mindset this cheapness that I totally get it when you're coming up and when you're trying to rebuild and get a you know clear your debt and have have savings sort of thing then be cheap, do it right and whatever. But I do think there's a point where, especially in business, you need to just take the foot off the brakes a little bit and start looking at, like you say, where can I, you know, use this money? Where can I sort of marshal these trips to like get me the best return in terms of buying myself time, putting myself in a better mood and mindset? And especially poker players. I mean, it's all, if you walk into a casino, and you've just stayed in a really, really dingy hotel. And I know we speak about the romance, Alex, and stuff, but if, you, if you've if you stayed in a nicer bed, a cleaner place, and you feel you get a better sleep, you feel safer, you're not sleeping with your money in your socks or whatever, and you recharge, then that's given you a little bit more of a hands-up, you know, an edge going into that tournament. I I think if we want to put a bow on this... I think the core question is, does it serve a purpose? If it doesn't, then it's frivolous. And that goes in both directions. Your friends who died very rich, but never enjoyed their money, it's no different than if they had lived their entire life poor, really, because that money was just a high score in a video game. So being that kind of cheap... Did it serve a purpose? No. And spending extravagantly does not serve a purpose either. But taking taking care of where you live does serve a purpose because, especially if it's your place of business, it is how you're going to conduct yourself is directly affected by your environment. Your case of going to China, well, you're going to be doing business from day one and that's going to rely honestly i think it's a really good investment because if you're talking with people and you're negotiating half of that is presentation how you carry yourself if you're curled over in a mess because you just did 16 hours in economy class well that's not really good so if you don't really seal a deal that's the whole damn reason you're there it doesn't matter how much money you save because you're pretty negative in the long run if we want to get very dollars and cents on this. But the reason going to uh, – I think this fits with poker as well. You, you said some people are extended stay America pros. They, they, uh, there will be a Motel 6 in the area that's 40 bucks a night. They'll spend $180 a night at – extended stay america i don't get it but let's say it's a ten thousand dollar tournament and you really do play that much better when you wake up in a nice place well 
it might be worth it. Now it's serving a purpose. Me, I'm wired a little bit differently. If you looked in my apartment in Queens, it's at, it's Astoria, it's a nicer part. It's not Queens, it's not Jamaica, Queens. It's, I, I'm not cheap. I have the big screen, I have carpets, I have a nice couch, I have a bookcase, I, I'm very lucky. But when I travel to these poker tournaments, I am under the opinion of this is a sports thing. People either play the way you pitch in baseball, the, the way that one coach puts it is prayer, perfect, or primal. Prayer is you have no confidence and you're hoping for the best. That's more, most recreational players. Perfect is 90% of so-called pros, which is they're trying to not make a mistake. They'll know, they'll, they'll raise pocket tens. They'll, with 35X, they'll get three bet. They'll know damn well the guy's not three bet calling nines or eights. And they'll still jam because they're trying to play perfect because they could not tell themselves, I raise folded tens with 35X. Oh my God, everybody's exploiting me, right? I, I don't think those guys can play cards, period. Uh, and then there's primal. Primal is primal is you are letting unconscious competence rule the day. You know the numbers, but you will deviate from the numbers if your body feels this is a bluff. Somewhere you have let your unconscious, you have let your subconscious come in. I think this is the hardest place to get in poker. I believe if anything in your personal life is amiss, it, you're not going to come to this. I believe if you're not studying, it, you're not going to be in this place. I believe if you're letting your body go astray, you're not going to be in this place. Drug, alcohol use, another great way to get away from this. Primal does not happen for me if I'm in extended stay America. I feel like I'm getting soft if I wake up in that nice of a bed. It turns something on. It reminds me of being back in Casino Road where I literally had my money in my sock walking home uh, and it was on if anybody came up to me because that was a lot of my role. Mm. It, it brings me back there. And when I go out like that, Atlantic City, you couldn't touch me mentally. You couldn't, you couldn't do it. I, I was in my I was in my zone. I pulled off bluffs. I pulled off bluffs in Baltimore too that I, I normally don't do because I could feel it in my system. I could feel it in my bones. I knew where the guy was. And that that is the allure to me about live poker that's not there in online. I love online poker deeply. It's where I got my start, most of my money. I'm a much better online poker player than I am a live player. But you can do things in live poker you cannot pull off online. And for me, I'm not feeling it if I get there in a cushioned first class <laughs> airfare. It, there, to me, all I can think of is this is a waste. This is, my, this is the rank, right? To me, the tournament entry is not... 5,000, I'm about to go play Montreal, right? Montreal is not 5,000 Canadian plus 300. It is plus 300, plus my airfare, plus my hotel, plus my meals. However much more I'm spending on the road compared to what I would take to feed myself there. 
It's also how much it costs me to take a couple days off of work, right? And if I'm just spending, if I'm just spending, I'm not being serious. I'm a tourist. I'm not a poker player. And there's a lot of these guys that just come out and they're spending. And to me, that hides insecurity. Because let me tell you guys something. If you guys ever fear professionals, you shouldn't do it because all of us are worried about losing our job. Every single day, we are worried about losing our job. 90% of us are seriously concerned about not being on the tour in a year. And the 10% who are not, quite frankly, are delusional. If you were a major league pitcher, or if you were a striker on a great football team, it, Unless it, you're making hundreds of millions of dollars, you're still fighting for your job every single day. After taxes, and also that $3.5 million you made over your pro career has to last your whole life, and it really comes out to $1.75 million, and you got another 50 years on this planet, I'm sorry, you're not retiring off of it. And there's a lot of guys, professional athletes, who... They commit suicide after they're out of the game because once the lights die down and they got to go sell insurance or cars, that's it. They can't remember what life was like. They, they, they wish they could forget what life was like in competition. And poker players have none of those benefits. Federer doesn't – guys – a professional basketball player does not have to pay – to go into Madison Square Garden. We have to pay to go to all of these tournaments or somebody else has to pay. And guess what? If you're losing for an extended period of time, that's it. You're put, you might not get another call. That's that. And I think a lot of these guys, when they go out and they spend $1,000 on a meal, when they spend a bunch of money on going to the Four Seasons, I really think that's insecurity. I think that's like, look, you might be worried about your job, but I'm not worried about my job. So watch me spend this kind of money to show how secure I am about my job. In three years, most of those clowns are gone, always. So I agree and disagree, Barry. <laughs> well, that's that's good because it's true, but I think, I think the, to, as you say, to use your phrase, to put a bow on this, what I would say is, 100% agree with you in terms of it matters if it serves a purpose and like will it help you know and for some people that is you know driving there it will make them feel better than getting on the train or whatever and they will play optimally again taking this back to poker but I would say you, you've probably got areas in your life if you're splurging on social life you're splurging on you know, gadgets and just going through them and updating them all the time and not really taking care of things, you know, like that. You're splurging on eating out and doing that. If you're doing it on all these areas, then I think it's, you know, an issue that's you will, you know, yourself sabotaging your success because whether it's business or whether it's poker, money is the capital. It's We've talked about, you know, it's your tools. It's That's your inventory. You need your money, you know, You whatever you're doing. With no money, you're out of the game. So, but what I would say is if people are balancing their life in terms of they've cut the drinking or they're going out or smoking weed with their friends or wasting money that way or um, I don't know what their vice was, maybe 
dropping thousands of dollars on designer clothes when a you know thirty dollar hoodie would have saved the same uh, served the same purpose or whatever. I think when they're doing that and they decide to then reallocate some of that money that maybe you know previously they would have wasted, you know, um, on things that do put them in a better mindset, put them in a better position, or make life a little bit more comfortable. I think it's I think it's fine then because. Um, but as you say, I'm not advocating that everyone, you know, someone's playing a thousand dollar tournament, they should fly first class <laughs> and stay at the four seasons <laughs> uh, to give themselves an edge. It's kind of went off that way. But I'm just saying that from a personal point of view, and that's all I can really speak with authority on is for a few years, I was, I went originally back in the day, I was just blowing money. I, I didn't think, well, you know, drinking, holidays, whatever, it just got spent. I spent money until I had none, then went out and made money. And coming back and rebuilding, I then just kept working, even when I've got money, and kept working, whereas I would have stopped before and took the foot off the gas. And I think when you've done that for year on year on year to rebuild and got yourself in a position, then I think you've also got to take a step back and look and go, where is this money now best? Can I, like we've said, can I use my funds bankroll or a portion of my bankroll or whatever to improve areas of my life or improve efficiency in certain areas, whether that be buying new technology or spending a bit more on a better flight so you've got less time waiting in an airport and more time you could spend getting comfortable when you land to then go and play a tournament, for example. Well, I, I think it comes down to what are you trying to be? If you're trying to be a professional poker player, you've got to cut costs everywhere. And that, as everybody who listens to this podcast knows, is not my recommendation. If you love poker and you're going to love playing this $1,000 tournament, go ahead and get a nice place, right? Like if you're doing this recreationally, which is my recommendation for most people, I think you have a really big advantage over every pro who's worrying about Let's, let's look at it this way. Every pro, the most successful pros in the world make like what? $400,000 in their best years. Are you going to retire off of that after taxes? Most of these guys, unless they're planning to be a lifer like me, and they, they're not really in love with this, they're stressed out. They're playing uh, with a gun to their head, thinking about their family's groceries. If you want to beat those guys, be as well-rested as possible and treat this as complete recreation. Go ahead and fly there. Get a nice hotel. It's just like if you were playing, if you were paying to play in a golf tournament, you wouldn't expect to win. And the great thing about poker is you just might. Go ahead and have fun. And when you put the money down, we'll, we'll take this back to uh, we'll take this back to prayer, perfect or primal. Most guys put the money down and they pray if they think they're dead money, right? Well. When you put the money down for a tournament, you're paying for an experience. That experience might be busting the first hand of a tournament. You just don't know. But yeah. you're paying for an experience. And if you go in with the idea of, I am paying for an experience, there is no possibility of making money after this. I, I think you're going to be doing much, much better. There, There's a lot of people that say, I can never play in makeup. I actually think one of the best things that ever happened to me is I did have to play in deep makeup and get out of deep makeup because I had to realize, do I love this game even if I can't 
make money from this tournament? Even if I win this tournament, do I not get a cent from it? Will I still enjoy it? And I did. I really did like that because every time I bought in, I said, this is going to be experience. This is going to be a war. I'm going to get deep and it's going to, it's going to be a, it's going to be a gunfight. We're going to be sitting there with big stacks and we're going to be, we're going to be trying to outthink each other for money. And that is a great experience. If you go in with the idea of I am going there to play a golf tournament with a bunch of people, I don't expect to make anything off of it. I think you have a huge edge off of the so-called pros, a huge one, especially the ones that got soft. And yeah, so I, again, does it serve a purpose? And sometimes I even think this goes, well, one last thing, then we'll get to some questions. I think this actually comes to pros as well. I have one friend, He's a, I don't know if he wants me mentioning his name, but he's a professional poker player. He's very responsible, uh, takes care of his family. And most of the time he plays very small tournaments, but there's just one tournament every year he loves going to. And it's like 10% of his bankroll, right? And the whole, he, he was talking with me and saying like, should I really go to this or whatever? And old me would say like, no, it's outside of your bankroll. That's really stupid. But new, as I've gotten older and I've realized the whole point of doing this, the whole point of playing poker is to play poker. And as I've gotten older, I realized if you can't play the one tournament of the year that you love to play and it is 10% of your bankroll, what is the point? Yeah. Like, what is the point of doing this then? I don't get that. So it's like I told him, if it's only this one, yeah, take the wife, take the kid, have fun. You know what I mean? Obviously, don't no four seasons, my friend. But like, don't uh, not a Chinatown Airbnb with the AC on the fritz in Vegas, like my stupid ass was doing this year. Well, it's it's important as well because it gives you that joy, isn't it? And that's what it's about, and that should energize you. And if that guy, whoever it is, is playing that tournament. And that gives him, if that puts a smile on his face, then he'll probably come back, win, lose, or draw anyway, and be recharged and more yes, motivated. Sir. Yes, sir. I, a great way, this is something you'll hear old black women say in the States, which is working is not living, right? And it's one of those things, it's like, that is one of the smartest things I've ever heard, and it's so damn simple, which is, if you're just working all the time, you're never living, what's the point? Yeah. There's no point. And part of this Let's be honest, the great part about poker, it is working and living. It is a competition amongst men, a battle of minds, a great vehicle for change in your personal financial life, and it should be enjoyed for the experience that it is. Now, obviously, you have to do that responsibly as you have to do it with all gambling, but if you're never living, what's the point of working? Because again, working is not living. Let's answer some questions, Barry. Yeah, okay. Amen. Amen, brother. Amen. Uh, <laughs> okay, this one is, uh, this is what we're going to do for the rest of the show. Uh, Omi wrote in, and it's quite a large email. And there's some questions, but some of the questions will likely be answered by Alex in a couple of sentences. So I'm just going to take you through this email from that Omi's uh, wrote in with. And he says, hello, Barry. Hope all is well. One question I have had, now Omi, it wasn't one question. There's about six in this email. Um, and uh, he says, and I've heard others bring up is, does what Alex teaches work in cash games or just tournaments? 
I realise I'm a small sample size, but I can say for certain that what Alex teaches works in cash games. Not necessarily specific bet sizes to 2.5x or 3.5x opens, because the game is very different. But PBSH, position, bigger pot, superior hands, heads up, combined with the questions one should ask before making any action definitely work. Even more so, avoiding autopilot, paying attention to players' tendencies, and asking the all-important question, what is the most important thought? Or as I have tattooed on the back of my hand, Whitman. Will deep definitely help you? I really hope it's tattooed. Sorry, go ahead. No, so that I, yeah. Will definitely help you play your best and outplay most recreational and even many semi-pros. Also, field tendencies is really helpful as well because most people do play on autopilot and other than pre-flop bet sizing and calls pre-flop, play cash very similarly to tournaments in the early stage. So that's almost sort of like loving for Alex and saying how great his methods are, which we all know. Um, and his first sort of small question, Alex, is will you be updating Test Your Poker with what is the most important thought type analysis? I have started going through that with the question in my mind, but like most players, I crave validation. <laughs> yeah, there's a, I got a lot of things on the books. I, I have the rest of my year. Montreal is going to be my last tournament up till about April. Uh, just just the way things are working out, there's a lot of opportunities that might not be there next year. So I want to make sure I take advantage of them. So live poker isn't as much in the cards. And one of the things I'm trying to do is crank out a few more of my info products because you guys are so nice to is to be picking them up. And as a content creator, that's really what you want is to be able to make a living and to be able to create what you love. And I totally love the idea of a tester poker that is reworked with the framework of how to think like a poker player. The reason it wasn't like that before is I didn't realize what I used to do is have a pilot's checklist that you would work and a hand, and what I started realizing is, well, I read this book about Navy SEALs, and they said, yeah, we never give anybody more than three things to remember, because uh, once the shrapnel starts flying, you don't really remember all that much. Yeah. And I was thinking probably the most stressful thing most people will go through during their day-to-day -day lives in the United States of America and other first world countries is tournament poker, or even cash game poker. So how to think like a poker player, as Ami actually worded it in a private email he wrote to me, it's it's really good about giving, giving you one triggering thought to get you thinking during a hand, as opposed to if you're blended with six different questions, you're in the heat of the moment, it's really hard to remember one of them, but it is easy to remember just one of one. So yeah, I totally like that idea. We should do it. Okay. And question two is, will you be doing any more products or even YouTube bonus materials where you use advanced poker training and go through a tournament? I found that very helpful, particularly the speed and actual other player behavior. I love advanced poker training. My, my main concern with advanced poker training is the bots are too smart. Like if you three bet the actual normal north american poker player he's not going to four bet you like you can do it all day 
There was one guy in Baltimore who four bet me twice. I almost shook his hand. I was like, I wanted to be like, I'm proud of you, dude. Good for you. Right. But the problem with the advanced poker training bots is, well, honestly, I love the software for practicing. I got really addicted to the software. My, the problem I have is I know my concepts work with poker players right now, but when I'm teaching on advanced poker training, I have to adjust to how smart the bots can be sometimes, right? So what advanced poker training is really good for is it's super good for the average person who is playing in like passive cash games. I think his bots are the best bots on the market for teaching you how to play against real poker players, especially in easy to medium games. My problem becomes the the, the harder players are so damn good that it, it becomes a little difficult to teach like, oh, like high stakes, like tournaments and stuff like that. But no, I really like the idea of it. I love the software. I honestly, I tell my students, I don't like it when they play against these like game theory optimal bots because I'm like, guess what? None of your opponents are playing like that. And 90% of advanced poker training uh, algorithms are, in my opinion, very realistic. It's truly a marvel that that site is not bigger. I I think that site is an incredible achievement. My only problem is sometimes they're a little too good. So I'm like, yeah, you could beat up this typical reg bozo right here. Oh crap, the bot just outplayed me, right? Which doesn't make for terrific, uh, doesn't make for, well, it's also not flattering, but it doesn't, it, 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 it's not perfect for that. But as far as like teaching you to win in like easy to medium games, like 30 to $50 MTTs or like live $203 tournaments, Advanced poker training is lights out good. So, yeah, we should definitely do more of those. That's a great point. Okay. And question three. I was recently playing live in an unfamiliar city in an unfamiliar country. It was London, UK. And I found most players exactly as you have stated. Rarely three bet, let alone four bet. And pretty much call with pairs and draws. Raise two pair or better. Fold their high cards. There was one player who was a slight exception. In this hand of 1-2-NL, stacks of about 700 effective, I had raised to 12 with queens. The cutoff called and button. The exception raised to 6-5. 65, sorry, sorry. Uh, fold, fold to me, I flat, other folds. Heads up to the pot out of position. The flop comes rainbow, queen high. I had already checked called him previously when I hit a monster, then got another player to shove the turn for a huge pot. I was thinking how to get value from his range this time. Most players here who flatted three bets out of position often dunked the flop with any pair, provided there was no ace or king. I decided to do the same and bet 65 into a pot of about 145. He tanked, then open-folded kings. Everyone at the table was shocked and basically said they would raise or go broke. He said my bet looked too value-orientated and that I either had aces or queens. 
Did I leave money on the table here? If so, what did I do wrong? And what adjustments should I make when thinking about a specific player versus the field? What do you think is the most important thought here? Sorry for the long question for a specific hand, but from a bigger picture perspective, I'm having some cognitive dissonance on this on this one between thinking what the field does, trying to play like the field against a good player who also seems to be exploiting the field and leveling myself. Appreciate you guys, and sorry if I just asked, how do you play poker? Thanks, Omi. No, it's a really interesting question, Omi, but I, I think the answer is not what you want to hear. It's you just got outplayed, like, period. That, that happens to me every day. Sometimes you just get outworked. If you watch sports, the best players in the world will get scored on, will get dunked on. The greatest pitchers in the world have home runs hit off of them. Uh, great quarterbacks get their passes intercepted. It just happens. Now, in this case, I think there's a learning moment here, which is you uh, – now, did I get this right? He called – so I was a little confused on the action. How deep were they pre-flop? 700 effective. So uh, Okay, I get it. So, all right. So there's 700 effective. I misheard the number. So he just called when the guy squeezed, which makes sense because he doesn't want a four-back call off that much money with Queens. So he calls, and he donk leads into the guy. Well, I think this is a learning moment. This guy did something very professional, in my opinion, which is – he looked ahead. He said, what this guy did is he said, I don't know what's going on here. I, one of the jokes I make in one of my free webinars that people just loved is I always say, like, are you investing in the Mexican stock market? And they go, no, of course not. Why? And I go, why are you not investing in it? I go, well, I don't know anything about Mexican stocks. And I go, good. So why would you put money in here? And they go, well, and again, there's, there's a difference. The, the luckiest thing, I don't know why this is becoming such a trend on this podcast, but again, prayer perfect and primal, right? I never got to play perfect when I started. I was broke. It, I didn't want to go back to cleaning fish guts off the hole of a ship if I screwed up, right? So when that – I might have folded there when I was younger, not playing for these stakes, right, but like playing what were big stakes to me at the time. I might have folded there, but I would have pissed and moaned and thrown the chair, right, and just yelled or something, but I would have folded those kings because I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't bust, right? And here's the thing. You put 65 in there. You got to ask yourself, whenever you're calling and you're hoping for the guy to shut down on the Turner River, you got to ask yourself, what percentage of the time does he really do that? And the answer is, we all know, it's like 20% or south of that, right? Which means another 80% of the time you're facing – 150 at the very least and on the river you might get 400 this guy three bet you with kings and then you let out him and he just didn't like the look of it something was off now to be 
to be fair to you, on me, I probably would have just called you because I would have assumed, okay, random guy I've never seen in my life, probably leading some queens. Uh, I would like to think I could get you talking on the turn to make a judgment call. Maybe I could try to get you talking on the flop. Although people are, as the tension increases, people will talk way more. I think it's just a release of tension. It's, uh, anyhow, but I think this guy just went primal. He wasn't trying to be perfect. He allowed himself to make a much smaller mistake because he, a likely a smaller mistake because he trusted himself. He's not going to invest in something he doesn't know about. Your play, Ami, would have worked on 90% of people. I really do believe that. I actually think it was pretty damn clever. Uh, I probably check there, but if I were, you know, let's say I was watching you and I was your coach and you led there, I'd say that was an interesting, that, that was an interesting attempt. I see why you did it, especially in these stakes. Uh, also with that board, it also looks like in live casinos, I would also, if you led into me there and I was the three better, I go, oh, he has like an underpair and he's trying to slow me down. Sometimes though a guy leads and he looks, you know, you, you get a you get a feel for it. That goes to something you can do in live poker you can't do in online. Now that being said, can I make this guy's fold? Most of the time, no. Uh, was your play right? Yeah, probably. Is that guy wrong? Here's the other thing: that guy probably folds there a lot, and he's wrong. So. The fact he showed his hand, I actually think I don't like doing it because part of the way you can really destroy people is most guys will never try a bluff. And if you show you can be bluffed, now now a lot of people start getting bold. But if he feels like he can pick off bluffs, the interesting thing about showing a hand is a lot of times you can just tell by somebody's expression whether it was the right fold or not. Most guys are idiots. If they bluff you, they'll show you the hand. I, I think that's really not smart. But if it was a good fold, I'll do that on occasion because it looks like you punch the guy in the face when you show him the hand. And then he folds really quickly. Sometimes you'll see them like recoup themselves and then try to emphatically fold like, ha ha ha, I got you sucker. And that to me is a little bit more like, okay, I, I don't buy it, but okay. Uh, anywho, I, I think you just got outplayed there. I think the guy got a little lucky on a bit of a, a bit of a euro fold. I don't think technically it was a good fold. Um, you might also want to start investing and in seeing if you've got some tells. It does happen. I'm pretty bad with live tells, but I pick up a lot of them still. Perhaps there was, uh, you know, may, may, I, I would look into some of the resources on that. I, I've been taking classes on that, listening to my friends who are more familiar with that lately. And I did pick up a few things on myself that were very subtle, but a real technician could pick up on. So keep looking, keep fighting for it. Yeah, I was going to say that maybe at the tell, you know, some of these live players who it doesn't really give much description about the guy, you know, what type of player he was in terms of sort of stereotyping him. But I've played, especially down south in the the Vic card room, um, which is 
like one of these old notorious card rooms filled with lots of good live players and like real stalwarts of the uh, British scene. You know the live scene. Neil Channing used to. I think he was there every day for some. Remember Sunar and all those guys. All them and Devilfish used to play there. All that and you. Some of the feel play, like if you want to call it that, and whatever, and the the live reading ability and stuff, without sounding like Phil Helms, but live with these guys when they've sat in that environment, it really is. It's I've seen some amazing folds myself, um, and also calls and. You know, even in some of the card rooms in Scotland with some of the players like that, and it is possible, like what Alex said, you've maybe just really given off something that the guys instantly went, yeah, I'm, this guy's got, you know, this guy's got queens here, or I'm definitely beat, you know, like here sort of thing. So, no, it's interesting that it is. And, uh, but then, like you say, Alex says, the guy could also just be a big super net, and he's just... Uh, He's folding that all the time, you know, really. And you've just went, oh, my God, what a fold. But the guy's only ever putting it, you know, playing back at that. But it seems a strange one to just fold that there to, like, the one bet. It's, you know, so um, I'd say he got a read on him, definitely. I, I, I mean, like, to put a bow on this, a lot of guys just call there and then they have no idea what to do on the turn. My thought is always, why didn't you just fold the flop if you were that sure he was strong? Right. And then, but to be fair, I don't, whenever you get a live tell, you're, you're still taking a guess. There's a lot of times you get it wrong. Right. And I think part of the reason the guy showed is he wanted to know if he got it wrong or right. So the guy took a shot. He was right this time. You got outplayed. That such is like, don't be so hard on yourself. People are so hard on themselves, especially in poker. Like, you get scored on every time you play. And taking this back to life, Barry, you were saying when you busted all your money at the beginning and then you came back and you worked really hard, I think that's really important. I never rethink the mistakes I made because it's really – it's important to make mistakes and to learn from them. And I did that with finances as you did. And now I think we're better people for it, whereas I see a lot of people make big, big mistakes – later on because they didn't you know allow themselves to make mistakes when they were younger and then they got curious when they were in their 30s anyway slightly off topic let's go let's go further yeah no i think it's weird like i never beat myself up about financial mistakes but i do have a tendency sometimes to beat myself up about you know maybe like personal stuff or friends or relationship stuff sometimes that i could have did better um but finances no it's just one gear like yourself, I love the game. I've been up and down so many times, but this time I hope I just stay up. <laughs> That's, you know. But it's yeah. different. You I lose think. your taste for it as you get older. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the pain last time as well from like having to completely rebuild and a lot of things. As you get older, there's more complications to being broke than just being broke. You know, you don't live at your mum's anymore and stuff. There's a lot more to it than just going, oh, well, I'm going to sleep in tomorrow and I'll start again, whatever. And when you're in the real world, um, it's it's different. There's You've got skin in the game, Alex. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, okay, I think that's all we have time for this week because the next uh, question is excellent. And I do want to... It deserves probably a large part of next week's show. And it's about moving to another country to play and stuff and all the ins and outs of that. 
And Alex has done that many times. And I've been thinking about a few things to do with it as well. And I think that'll be a good uh, discussion. So I don't want to just shoehorn that in and, you know, leave it like that. Um, Alex, is there anything else you want to touch on? Uh, if not, how can people get in touch with you and get access to your materials? And I believe you've got um, a crazy sale on one of your products just now. I caught it in a one of your newsletters that wasn't a personal attack at me. <laughs> I was seeing if you would bring it up at all during the day. Just <laughs> I I laced an email with about twenty personal attacks against Barry to give him a hard time. And I was just curious if he would even open it. And then four days later I get a tweet. I get four tweets aimed at me. But as you can tell, it was all a joke. Uh if you guys want to sign up for my newsletter where I send daily free content, write me at – oh, you can write me at alex at pokerheadrush.com. I'll sign you up. You can also go to pokerheadrush.com, which is my abandoned ruin of a blog, and go to the top right and sign up for the newsletter there. Follow me on Twitter, at The Assassinato. Uh, follow my videos on Tournament Poker Edge. I'm doing a long-form hand history review series with G coming up so be sure to tune into that uh yeah that's pretty much it follow my uh you really want to sign up for that newsletter because i literally send out something free every day that's my new goal like every single day something free and very very rarely a pure sales email you know there's ads at the bottom because you got to keep the lights on but there's free a bunch of stuff coming out so be sure to look out for that and yeah i do have a deal on live poker 101 is discounted from its normal 799 to 99 uh truthfully that was that's a pretty steep discount but yeah it it was a mastermind group essentially where people paid a thousand dollars to get in and every week for I think 11, 12 weeks, we did a two hour lesson, one hour, two hours of me going over real live poker hands. And it's very much, I don't think you get the gist of how to do something until you get experience. There's, it's really hard to teach someone how to do something until they get a lot of experience. Now, obviously, there's a couple ways to do that in tournament poker. One, you can go out and play a bunch of live turns, tournaments. My goal in this group was to synthesize that. There's more original content in that series than any of my other series. People absolutely loved it at the time. People love it now. You can check it out. It's That's the steepest I've ever discounted any one of my products. So if you want to see that deal, go to gumroad.com slash assassinato. That, one more time, is gumroad.com slash assassinato. And you can see all my products. And the one the deal is on is live, on Live Poker 101. And just to go on to that, what Alex said, it is literally you're getting an email every day. And obviously, with me not playing as much poker as I used to, um, I catch the odd one, but I save them all to be read at a later date. And some of the titles grab me and I'll go in and read that one at the time if I've got spare, you know, five, ten minutes. And just Alex's bad luck, I caught that one uh, that was an attack on me. And I, I read that one. 
Um, no, all joking aside, it, it was funny. And um, I left the spelling mistake up as well, deliberately. I, I, I refused to edit it. Um, and like 40% less grunting in this episode. I'm proud of you, buddy. Those improv classes are paying off. <laughs> um, but it was really funny because I, as I say, when I was playing poker like daily, it would have been great to get something like that from Alex. You know, a, a newsletter through just to start you up. You can use that as, to start your study routine or just in the morning, you know, when you're awake and just to wait, have some breakfast or whatever, just read through it and it gets your mind going on something. And joking aside, they are always good. So uh, definitely sign up for Alex's newsletter. It is worth worth a read. Um, okay, just so you know, I, I'm, I'm going to get it after that podcast. That was Barry's I'm going to whoop your ass laugh that he did after I did that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get you, buddy. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it is. And yeah, it is free content every single day. Thank you for the endorsement, Barry. Yeah, it's I am your poker coach for free every day if you sign up for that newsletter. So please do so. No, what Alex's penalty will be, it'll just be I'll be requesting one of his webinars for free of charge. That'll be his uh, fine that he has to pay on the one hour podcast. <laughs> That's your kneeling fine. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Okay. Uh, right. Thanks for joining us. Next week's episode will be 200 if Alex behaves himself. And uh, I did joke that I was going to stop it at 199 to punish Alex and all our listeners with uh, severe OCD uh, or even mild OCD. I think that might annoy me. I've got mild uh, OCD. That would be Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but next week will be episode 200. Um, I don't know if we're going to do anything. I don't think, you know, I think we do we do stuff all the time and Alex has got sales running and that. And, you know, Alex has convinced me, let's just be cheap. So I was going to give away a big, huge giveaway, but now I'm just going to keep the money for myself. And actually, I might be playing poker <laughs> tomorrow. Come, come up with some for free. Yeah, yeah, there's a local tournament. Uh, Five minutes down the road from my house, it's the Grosvenor Poker Tour 25-25 series, which is 225 buy-in, or 220 buy-in, I think it is, and uh, it's 25k guaranteed, and it's literally five minutes down the road, and it's, yeah, a decent game, so I might go and play that and meet up with some of the old poker friends uh, and see what's what. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll play that and hopefully have something to talk about next show on that. But I'm really looking forward to talking about the relocation question. A guy wants to relocate to another country about playing poker and all the ins and outs of that. So look forward to Alex telling us some stories about um, his experience with that. And also I've got some things I can throw in to the mix uh, regards relocating and sort of living that nomadic lifestyle. Um, Alex, thanks for joining us again this week. It was fun. Thanks to everyone for listening and we'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.